0: we have an insane episode for our newest episode of our podcast for you guys today, guys. So we sat down with Michael Gervais. So if you don't know who Michael is, he is uh, the world's expert, expert on mastery. His podcast, Finding Mastery, is Brett and is one of our favorites, 100%. And uh, I mean, w- what a stud. So Brett, what, what'd you kind of take away from it? Well,
1: I've always been enamored with uh, Dr. Gervais just because I felt like he's the, you know, one of the few people in the world who truly understands what mastery actually is and maybe more importantly, like he talks about all sides of it that I really like. So, um, you know, we, we know that work life balance is, you know, one of those really difficult ideas. So, you know, to kind of have somebody who's like really diving into this to find out, you know, if you want to be the best in the world at whatever your craft is or whatever it is you're doing, these are the necessary steps. And this is, this is what the people are doing to get there. And I think everyone who's, you know, a part of and what we're trying to create here, I feel like they're all, we're all on this journey, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, we're all on this journey together. So, you know, if we can, you know, kind of, you know, explain and, and highlight what that is, I mean, there's the clinical piece, but then there's also that, that, de- that daily dedication mm-hmm. to become a great clinician that I think is never really talked about, honestly. So.
0: Absolutely. I think like, for me, it was, I'm still kind of a little bit shook from the conversation because he challenged us a little bit, which is awesome. Uh, I love that feeling of being like, oh, I don't really know what to say, and I don't know how to answer this. Or, and so uh, what's so cool about Michael, though, is he makes you feel special. Even in the the little short time we had, he made me made us both feel special. And, and I, I think. Uh, you know, one of the things he talks about is these little 15 second increments of like locking in. And so we asked him the question about what are the grades to do? And he said that they do the 15 seconds where they're just like locked in and then they keep locking in and they keep locking in. And so for me, I, I, I think it's difficult for us to put that into practice and to, into our 15 minute patient, uh, you know, interactions And we always talk about being locked in for those 15 minutes, but maybe we have too much of an expectation to be locked in for all 15 minutes. And I, I don't know. So I'm still kind of trying to think about how that works and, and what that looks like for me. One more final thought. I would
1: say the other thing that I heard him talk about years ago at the World Golf Summit in San Diego was he talked about stringing moments together toward mastery. And to me, that is exactly what clinical practice is, you know, good and bad. We all have good patients, bad patients. So, you know, like at the end of the day, like being able to put all those together. And then at some point when, you know, we see our last patient, you know, you know, where do you, where do you stack up? You know,
0: that's, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, Brett and I, we're still kind of uh, uh, we're we're contemplating this and we're we're really excited that he sat down with us. And I I think you guys are going to get a ton out of this. I know I've listened to it a couple times already, and I'll probably listen to it a couple more times just to try to get it all in. So anyway, uh, enjoy this conversation with uh, Dr. Michael Gervais. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Gestalt Education Show. So uh, we are excited to be sitting down with uh, the guru of mastery, if you want to call him that, the king of mastery, uh, Michael Gervais. So um, in in true alignment with what Gestalt really is, we're trying to create world-class clinicians and trainers. And so part of that is developing mastery in in using the skills to to get to the point that you want to be and then to be world-class so uh, We'd be remiss if we didn't talk to the expert in the world when it comes to that So Michael, thank you for sitting down with us number one Uh, So those that don't know so Michael is a high-performance psychologist. Uh, He's been in the trenches with the best in the world He's uh, trained world record holders Olympians MVPs uh, (laughs) uh, Red Bull athletes you basically name it he's he's been with it and so um, He's also is the host of finding mastery one of the most successful podcast basically in the world and so um, he uh, if you haven't already subscribed and downloaded uh you, you definitely should and uh so so michael thank you for being with us number one and to, maybe just to start off like what is mastery like what 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 is mastery
2: well f- first before thank you for the introduction thank you for the <laughs> kind words thank you for including me in your mission um, And I've loved the Final Mastery podcast, it's been awesome. I've learned so much Hmm. from some of the most extraordinary people on the planet. And so, um, I'll just kind of start before I give you a concrete definition, um, because the concept is a bit elusive. And so, um, post training, I was in the field, so I did all the academic stuff, I was in the field for about uh, 20 years, and I said, you know, I want to share what happens inside of the psychology, the conversations of the extraordinaries. And I thought like, what would I wanna share? Well, I wanna under- share and understand better how these world-class thinkers and doers organize their inner life. Um, I wanna understand what they're searching for and then illuminate and clarify the mental skills that they use to adjust to uncertainty, to deal with internal and external setbacks. And so um, it was really like, how do they approach life? And at the highest level, the deepest approach to life is one of artistry. And I'll explain that in a minute. And um, it's the path of mastery. Mm-hmm. So you and your community are clinically trained, you know, and so you guys have a deep understanding of the science and how to apply the science. And there's a next level which are those that have such a command of both craft, body, and mind, that they're able to find an artistic expression in the things that they love the most. So whether that's the craft that you guys are um, celebrating, or it's something that happens in the living room, or it's in the boardroom, whatever it might be, how do we become true artists in painting the canvas that uh, is fascinating to us? So that's mastery is really living that path. And I wish I could say, here's the operating definition of mastery, but if you conceptually can just grok with the path of trying to go deeper to make it more simple so that you can figure out how to artistically express yourself to express your craft in any environment under any condition Hmm. and early days. What happens for your clinicians and you guys would recognize probably for yourself is that you're just kind of struggling to diagnose. You're just trying to struggle to like, what is happening in front of me? And so the technical chops are not quite there yet. And then at some point you're like, I've seen this frame before. And then you start to get in trouble because you've seen the frame, you've seen the cluster of symptoms, and you get in trouble though because you diagnose before you've actually put your hands on, before you've really felt digested, made sense of it. And then over time, you learn that okay, I thought I knew some knew something, but I really don't. So mastery is the path of simple mind, uh, the curious mind, um, with lots of reference points of how things work and how things don't work, and so. I, complicated your question is complicated Um, i
1: saw michael at the world golf summit in san diego years ago and uh i remember i was there we were doing some other business and uh so i had was
2: fun though i stumbled
1: into your talk and i didn't know who you were at the time but i'm telling you i've heard a lot of people talk i mean it was literally the best hour lecture i have literally ever heard of but you said something that has resonated with me you said Part of mastery, a component of it, is stringing moments together because I feel like in practice that's kind of what we're doing. So it's one moment building on another moment. Bobby Fisher and others, they, they've called it like building memory traces and, you know, people have used different terms what do you think about that like how because i think some people go through their day whether it's a doctor physician pt whatever it might be they're just kind of going through the motion instead of like really being present that way they can actually string these moments together and you use i mean use some big names you talked about magellan jesus (laughs) uh, i mean these these, the people that leave a legacy so what uh yeah so how, how do we do that like what's uh what's the key to that
2: okay Thank you for remembering that. that, oh, that it talk. Was yeah, amazing. I had fun. Thank you. I had fun that day. That's for sure. Um, so we're talking about stringing moments together. So let's let's take a moment here and kind of go in order. The first order of business for anyone that wants to live a life of flourishing. And I'm using the word flourishing right now because I used to talk about as you would recognize. Uh, that talk about like consistent sustainable high performance and I'm now talking about flourishing which is more a combination of enjoying the awe of life as well as being able to execute you know with high command in an artistic way in any environment like we just talked about but flourishing the keyhole to flourishing the keyhole to high performance the keyhole to wisdom and the keyhole to all things that are true and beautiful and good and amazing is the present moment hmm. so we reveal wisdom we express um, high performance in the present moment and we experience all the things that are true beautiful and amazing in the present moment so what are we talking about it's so pop culture pop psychology kind of psychobabble stuff to talk about the present sure, moment yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's a bit nauseating but this is a concept that is predated even like buddhism twenty six hundred years ago, you know, like the greats over time have talked about the value of being in the present moment. Modern science would drive us this way say, okay, great. Let's not do kind of the mystic kind of pop psych thing. What does it take to live in the present moment? And then so that's where mental psychological skills training enters the conversation. Hmm. So you might call it deep focus. That's a good kind of holding bin for what we're talking about right now, but the present moment is continually unfolding. So this moment, the three of us have never been in it, and the next moment, we don't know what's gonna happen. So our job is deep focus to stay on time with the unfolding present moment. That is a capability. Hmm. It's not something that we're born with, it's something that we need to build. And so it's not an ability, but it's a capability. And the difference between the two is an ability is something that you've built, but a capability is what you can access under duress, under stress. And what happens for most people when there's a little bit of stress on board is that deep focus becomes either too narrow or it becomes scattered. And when we're scattered, it's we're popping from this, that, and the other. And it's like we're scanning the world to find the dangers. We're entertaining shit that doesn't make sense really because our survival brain is kicked in as opposed to this eloquent being able to stay in the present moment and follow it. So when we can stitch present moments together, we get aha moments. We get like, oh, that's how this works. And then if you can get lots of aha moments, we get into that place of wisdom. And so, the present moment is the keyhole. Hmm. So that's how this works. And so my job is to help people live in the present moment more often. Sure.
1: <clears throat> Some people use the term flow, you know, and yeah. like, does that exist? How do, how do people get into flow? And on a day, I mean, if we're talking in the athletic world, when you are not in your flow, what do you do to work on the coping strategies to still go out there and, you know, still perform when you when you don't have your best stuff or, you, you know, your, your wife's mad at you or your kids are scre- You know, it's... For us, it's a little bit different in the athletic world because, you know, we always say like, if you have an argument with your spouse right before you walk into the treatment room, does it affect your treatment, yeah. you know? So, yeah. so how do people like really, you know, keep their focus with what you're talking about? Like, what are some of the strategies?
2: Um, it's generating a sense of calm, knowing how to do that, but it's anchored to the big stuff. Like, what is the big thing you're trying to sort out in life? What is your purpose? it's kind of getting down to those big rocks. I wish there was a shortcut, but damn, it goes so far. Like, what is your purpose in life? And if you can answer some of those big problems, you become more of like the pond rather than the puddle. You become more of the ocean rather than the pond or the puddle. And so when you know what your true north is and you know the values that you want to live by, those are big things to get in the container. When you can get those in the container, then the argument that you just had with the wife or whatever, whatever, or, or loved one, that becomes an opportunity as opposed to a mini crisis. And so figuring that out, going upstream to like, what is my purpose? What are my core values? It's big stuff. So it's, it's getting the big rocks into, in the container. Yeah. Um, now downstream from that, is knowing how to let go of some sort of external obstacle or challenge or whatever that is occupying your mind and then return back to the present moment. But this is why mindfulness, call it meditation, is such a foundational practice, because it is the practice of resetting, Hmm. of refocusing, so that you can build awareness, of how your thoughts and your words and your emotions and the the environment around you work, with that awareness, you learn how to pivot and refocus and return back to the thing that matters most. Hmm. So I would say um, purpose, core values and a relentless uncommon commitment to a, a mindfulness meditation practice.
1: Does everyone have their own unique way to meditate? I mean, how do you work with your your clients and your athletes on that? Like how's the, is there a
2: a reference you like? Is everyone's different or? It's a good question because again, this word gets thrown around a lot. Like, you know, okay. So let's talk about it from a secular standpoint. It it was born out of um, a spiritual practice. Okay. But let's talk about the science of it for just a moment. There's two basic types of meditation. There's single point focus and then there's contemplative. And in the short time we have together, um, I want to just focus on the single point. Okay, so contemplative is a fancy word for just watching and observing. That's rad. That'll take you a long way, and it's hard to not get caught up in judging and critiquing and solving. But just to watch your thoughts and to see how thought one leads to thought two, leads to thought three, how the emotions of um, of those three thoughts are related to each other. Like its it'll take you somewhere if you have the courage to go. Mm. And I'll tell you that people that are interested in mastery or a life of flourishing, you've got to go on that journey. Otherwise, the world is going to tell you how you ought to live. And then you're gonna look outside of yourself to see if you're okay or not. And this is why anxiety right now, right now, anxiety is on a 250% increase (laughs) from year over year. You know, COVID has a lot to do with that, but COVID was the external condition and people don't have the internal resources to deal with the uncertainty that is at play right now. So if you don't go within the external world becomes your guidepost. I'm not sure that's the way that I would suggest that we go. Okay, so to really make this limited time that we have together meaningful, like go and meet your thoughts. Know what thoughts work for you, what don't, like what are the themes and the streams and the triggers, like nobody can do this work for you though. You have to do this work by yourself. So that's the contemplative part. It's awesome. I could go, I could talk hours on this. Then the other side is on the single point. So this is the second part of a mindfulness or meditation practice. So single point meditation is really making a commitment for an extended period of time to focus on just one thing. Now you're committing, this is how I was taught it 22 years ago. You are committing as if your loved one's life depends on you getting that thing right. Hmm. So this is not like, hey, I want to meditate to relax. That's not what this is. (laughs) This is like, get to know how your mind works by focusing so relentlessly, uncommonly so on one thing that when your mind wanders from the thing, which it will quickly, that you can recognize it and return back to the one thing. So that's mechanical. Mm -hmm. That's not complicated. The science around this is ridiculous. Those that practice mindfulness have an increased frequency and flow state. Why do people struggle
1: so much? I I know from like the professional athlete standpoint, like getting that group of people to meditate was always, is always very challenging. So is it because of the
2: increased amount of anxiety? Is it, what makes it,
1: why is it so hard
2: as humans for us to do this? Okay, so 35% right now, Uh, Of people are reporting in America to be have clinical anxiety Hmm. so anxiety is an excessive worry about later okay so why is it hard for people to meditate because when we are unsettled what we're looking for is dopamine we're looking for serotonin our brain is looking for a feel-good chemical so what gives us dopamine social media email checking (laughs) You know, like quick hits of something that's kind of satisfying. Mm. So that'll give you a little bit of dopamine, serotonin, like food, sex, um, talking trash about somebody, unfortunately, we'll do that for you. Um, movement can give you some dopamine, adrenaline, serotonin as well. So there's lots of things that are in place prior to the one thing <laughs> that is actually quite sustainably powerful, which is um, working through the unsettledness to get to a place of quiet. And there was a recent piece of research that just came out that uh, people would prefer a mild shock than sitting still, <laughs> trying to be quiet. How about that? Yeah, like, where are, we, I believe it. Yeah. where are we going? Yeah, you know, like that—that's kind of crazy. So, but think about like when you're in the car or you're kind of hanging in your home or doing whatever you're doing, like eating a reaction is to grab your phone while you're doing something. So you're not with your own thoughts. Right. So why is it hard? Because it's flipping. It's hard. Mm-hmm. So there's no immediate thing that you get from meditation or mindfulness. You know what? Okay, fine. You know what I think like, here's my, here's, here's my, I don't know. I, I want to drop a bunch of F-bombs in here, but here, here's my- um, You can. <laughs> yeah, I no, yeah, appreciate it. But here's where I start to go. Uh, I feel bad for people because the more that you're not going to meditate, the further ahead I'm getting in life. So no problem. If you want to be average, no problem. Right. You know, like, but I really, the, the the better side of me says, God, I wish that people would know what it feels like to be free and to invest in the inner life as an exponential investment in their craft and others. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a quick story on Finding Mastery. John Donovan, CEO of AT&T. And so um, I asked him how many people he's managing. Over 300,000 people directly roll up to him. (laughs) 300,000. So I asked him about like, what are his practices to be able to be um, the best version of himself? He says, I started out as a skeptic in this world. And so I started with just a handful of minutes of meditating in the morning, uh, journaling, then meditating. And I realized that after 10, 15, 20 minutes of a regular practice that I was 4x better. It it was just a number, it's not like real math to this, but he felt like he was 4x better um, in efficiencies, in answering people's questions, returning email with accuracy, being present with people. So he said, so I doubled down and I went from 20 to 40 minutes. Now he's got a four hour practice in the morning before he gets to the quote unquote office. Wow. And he says he is exponentially, wildly more effective in solving the problems of the day because he's super clear on the internal frameworks that are his triggers versus other triggers. And like, I, I don't know what to tell you, if you don't invest, there's only three things we can train. You can train your craft, you can train your body, and you can train your mind. The best in the world are not leaving one of those up to chance. So, so why, why, why should we? Right. Why should we? Right. Because it's hard? <laughs> All right. Every, yeah, good things are, are hard, though. Yeah, all right, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you really want to enter the thin herd, mm-hmm. there's a conversation that people in the thin herd have. There's a different language. You can't play the, the game of thinking that you're going to be on the thin herd and not know the language. Hmm. The language is doing the hardship and knowing that you're doing the hard stuff because you want to test the anchor. You know, the greatest maritime... <clears throat> ocean people, they don't pray for calm waters. They pray for the strength of their anchor to be tested. They want to know that they can weather the storms in radical ways. And so they prepare in uncommon ways. And what most people are looking for is relief. And they're looking for um, calm waters because they feel so chronically stressed out. Mm. Um, That's not the conversation that's happening in the thin herd. Mm.
1: This year, Michael, uh, during the pandemic, a lot of people were watching the, the documentary on Michael Jordan mm-hmm. and, and, and Tiger also. So what ends up getting exposed is you see this uh, extreme dark side. So I think the question that a lot of people have is, is it possible to get to that level, still keep your marriage going, your kids still love you? Like, can you talk about, and I mean, I know it's cliche, but that work-life balance, but but in all the people that you deal with, which is the best people in the world and their crafts, how do the ones that keep it all together? What do they do differently? Because obviously, there's got to be a sacrifice. And then, I guess you have the second part of that question would be, you know, like how do you keep your wife on board with everything? I mean, because you're, you know, a very very busy human being. So how do you keep your inner tribe on board with what uh, you got going on?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yes. There's a dark side to this um, uncommon pursuit, and the dark side is the loneliness that comes with following this um, path that is poorly traveled. So there's a loneliness that happens in it. And it's not a bad lonely necessarily, but there's an aloneness to it. Mm. And so let's just, Michael Jordan, you know, in this sports psychology community, we watch that maybe a little bit differently than many people because we're looking at the psychology of one of the greatest to ever play the game of basketball or if not the you know there's a real argument to be made there so um, when we look at it we go "Ooh, i'm not so sure that that's there's any psychological health involved in here hmm. you know so the old model you'll recognize this the old model used to be that true high performance began where health ended right like if you really want to get into that space about the rare performance expressions that there was a compromise to health. I don't think that that necessarily needs to hold up. I'll tell you why. Is because it was an unsophisticated approach. So relentless of craft, relentless of body, and a piss poor investment in psychological skills. So of course, wellness was gonna be compromised there. Okay, from a psychological standpoint. Because it was only a um, anxiety, obsessive, driven, narcissistic, fueled approach. That if I can get that thing, then I'll be okay. Hmm. So it's unhealthy from the framework, and there's not any psychological skills to support it. Now, here's the here's the good news: so the psychology of excellence has caught up, and we've been able to study the greats, and we've been able to say, okay, what are the psychological skills? That they have in place to do well in life and in sport, okay? Or whatever, sport, arts, business, whatever. There are not a separate set of skills for high performance psychology and a separate set of skills for well being psychology.
1: That's good to hear. Huh. Yeah, it's yeah. the
2: same That's stuff. Yeah. So, so that, yeah. Okay, so what does that mean? We don't need to have that radical compromise and we can still make a fundamental commitment to explore our very best in an uncommon way, managing the relationships around you is a separate skill. That's hard. That was the second part of your Mm -hmm. question. You know, I think, were you asking about my family?
1: Just my own, your, everybody, you know, everybody who's on this this journey, you know?
2: Nobody does it alone. Right. Like whatever your family structure is, you're doing it with them. And so even individual athletes, While they might be the only one on the court or the field or whatever, they don't do it alone. There's a full team that is part of that thing that's taking place. So nobody does it alone. We come into this world alone with help from, you know, obviously uh, sperm and egg and the mother, uh, father, the whole thing that happens there. But we come into this world and we are alone to figure the, the beginnings out. We need help from others. And the same as an adult, we need help from others. And we leave this world alone. So in between, it's really about relationships. And there's an axiom that I've followed most of my professional life, is that through relationships we become. Nobody does it alone, so the relationships are what carry us. And I'm no longer interested in the relationships that serve me, but how I can serve those who have agreed to partner in in ways that are uncommon. So um, I used to think that like, okay, where's the community that can really help me get to the places I want to go and do the thing. Now it's like, oh shit, like, no, the vision that we collectively created is really exciting. I need them. How can I serve them? Yeah. there you go. Like, so it's, you know, and they need That's me and how can, so that, so if we can flip that a little bit, it feels healthy. And, um, I don't know, John Wooden did it really well when he would bring the brightest in sport day one, you know, the story, right?
1: Tell it again.
2: So he bring the brightest. So the brightest in high school would come to UCLA, you know, to play at um, basketball for John Wooden, the great. And he would, as the, I had a quick conversation with him. It was like two hours and oh wow. um, I'll tell you just as an aside, like when you're in the presence of people who really understand something, they're just different mm. and you know, he's one of them. And he was telling the story about how he would, and he wrote about this a lot. But he would ask the greats, that the high, highest recruits that are coming in as freshmen, to sit down on day one and show them how to put their socks on, how to put their shoes on, how to. Tie, and you know, you see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar looking at him like, and I'm making this part of the story up, like, "What are we doing, Coach?" <laughs> what the hell you, are we doing? <laughs> you know? And so he's, he's very simply, he's like, um, "Well, if you don't." take care of the basics
0: mm-hmm.
2: There's a chance that you run into blisters and like i we need each other so let's start with the basics let's invest in the basics and and master those and then we start to ladder but we need everybody to have good feet <laughs> you know like because <laughs> if kareem if you're out like you know you're an important part of the team and you can't you out for flipping blisters right. you know so right. so that's the kind of like stripping down to the basics i think is um I don't know where we're going with the story, but it seemed fun at the moment. Yeah, so, perfect. Yeah, perfect.
1: What do you yeah. think about? Um, I heard you talk about uh, in that same talk that you gave about you use the example of Felix Baumgartner. Yeah, and you said that. Uh, that he is pushing the limits of what's possible physically Mm -hmm. and i think in sports too i mean you always have like a scoreboard on the side of it you kind of know where you're at like michael jordan knows how many championships he won so for those of us who don't have such a tangible goal maybe like how do we keep on a daily basis keep that motivation going you know when you just don't have that you know objective thing that to look for
2: it's a good question Because it's one of the things that sport does really easily is that they say, here, here's objective measures that, in a razor-thin, thin thin margin-based outcome, you know, did the thing happen or did it not happen? -hmm. And if it's if it happens, there's ridiculous rewards that can take place, you know. And if it doesn't happen. The owner's flying home on their yacht or flying home on their big engine, you know, uh, cargo. And then we're back rowing. (laughs) Right. So, like, you know, but, okay, um, how do we do it outside of sport is I think the mistake is to look at the extraordinaries, the ones who are on the podium, the ones who are celebrated for being the best, and go, oh, they're, they're born with a natural talent. Yeah, they've worked hard, but they had a leg up. And yeah, I see that they're better than others. Good for them. Really, when you when you pull back the curtain, what they've done is they've tried to, for the most part, not always, but they've tried to maximize today to be their best because they're they don't actually know what other countries are doing. They don't they don't get to know that until they compete with them to see what the talent looks like. And you know, it's small it's a small community, so you have a sense of what somebody's running or jumping or whatever. Like you have a sense, mm-hmm. but. When you pull back the curtain, it's like the way that they've fundamentally, it's a key question, organized their life is to be their very best today. Not the best, but their very best. That's all they can do. But we we are caught up in trying to be the best rather than our best. So I'd reset the conversation and I'd say, getting an idea in your mind about today, what your best looks and feels like. I go thin slice on that. I wouldn't think about in this exercise what if I stacked a bunch of those days together? Where would it lead? I would do that next very quickly. But what does a epic day for me look like? And and this is not a conversation about the external world goes just right. You know, maybe you get in a fender bender or you know whatever. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking. Whatever is going to happen, what is your best way of living? Hmm. Now, underneath that, you need some psychological capabilities. You need to know how to be present. You know how to need to uh, um, pivot and adjust and be agile. Well, how do you do that? Well, you need to understand how confidence works. You need to understand how being calm works. Those are trainable skills. Hmm. You need to understand deep focus, which we talked about before. That's a trainable skill. So there's capabilities underneath the way that you want to live. This is not hard. It might sound like a lot of mumbo-jumbo that I'm talking about, but if you just sat down, wrote down, thought about, what does an ideal day look like for me? um, And then, what do I need inside to be able to adjust to the challenges that I'm gonna face today? And you just kept stacking them together? That's what I think that they do really well that we can learn from.
1: How do you reconcile? I feel like uh, humans wanna procrastinate and there's this delicate little balance of like a sense of urgency. I just had my 44th birthday and I, I always kind of think of myself, it's like, no one does anything real great after the age of 70. So I'm trying to like, you know, like map my life out to make sure that I'm, Whoa, you what, know.
2: what do you mean no one does anything real great? Well, no, you're
1: still hanging out with your family. I, there's outliers. There's no doubt about it. My point is I feel like humans have a tendency to procrastinate. I'll I'll do that tomorrow like the, you know they they can't they can't get the engine going so to speak so what what do you think about do you agree
2: or not? no I I think that I would challenge you to take a look at like some of the intellectual give back that people that get into those 70s and 80s is quite remarkable like Albert Mandora, so one of the great psychologists of our modern era I think he just wrote his greatest contribution um, on social morality. Like I th- he, I think he just cracked it and he introduced, you might be familiar with self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Like, yeah. So he introduced self-efficacy. He introduced the, the term psychological agency. Like these are foundational mm-hmm. concepts. And he wrote those in his, I don't know, probably thirties, forties, fifties, somewhere in there. But um, he was on the podcast as well. And I sat with him and like, man, his mind was sharp. But it, was, it wasn't like it was lightning fast but he had all of these reference points and you could see him like in a beautiful way pulling ideas together as he's creating an opus basically. So I would think that as the body declines, because it does, over some sort of arc over our lifespan, that um, the sharpness of our mind starts to fade a little bit as well. Short-term memory fades a little bit, but you know what's there? Reference points, complicated ideas, and the ability to To synthesize complicated ideas, Mm -hmm. and so I just think that there's an opportunity for um, to maybe think about like some good stuff is ahead, you know. Like, and then you know where I just was thinking in my head is that thinking about an athlete that uh, he's a he was a former athlete, extraordinary what he did, and we're having a conversation. He's like, "Man, I got I'm thinking about like my testosterone's dropping. I got to get some testosterone going." And then he paused. And he goes, why am I doing that? I want to look good, he says out loud. It's like he's talking to me, but he's really talking. I just want to, I feel like my body's falling apart. You know, I just want to look good. And he goes, why am I caring about that? He says, hey, doc, is it normal that testosterone declines over age? I go, yeah. And he goes, what's the purpose? I said, I don't know. And he said... Do you think it's so I'd be more in touch with my emotions? I go, good call, dude. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, like, how about it? You know, So you start ingesting all of these exogenous kind of forms of stuff that we once held on to. I think that there's an opportunity on the other side of it to say, what is the natural design here? Hmm. Hey, like, let's be maybe a little bit more in touch. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I think that listening to the natural design of the body is pretty cool. Um, there 's a lot of wisdom inside this beautiful machine right you know there's uh, three pounds of tissue in our brain and the nerves that flow from that it's it's pretty it 's pretty wild how this thing works absolutely
0: yeah. well I think like if I could just sum up everything that you said it 's to pay attention uh, mm. take some time for yourself to pay attention because the time that you take now is going to pay dividends later
2: mm. i I would say pay attention with some curiosity, Mm. Curious, you know, I just add like the beginner's mind approach to things is really cool Mm -hmm. Um, and it can feel really overwhelming of how much I think your community probably want to learn. And so paying attention is like a thin slice right now, make a micro decision right now to be for the next 15 seconds locked in. Mm. And then when your mind wanders, no problems, lock in again. And when it wanders again, no, that's like a living meditation. Mm And so um, if you get better at it, you'll end up stringing moments together. And then, so you've got a wider keyhole to high performance to access your craft and the things that you, whether it's words or with your hands or whatever you want to do to access it. So you widen the keyhole when you spend more time in the present moment. And when you do that, you eventually get to some, "Ah, aha, Mm. that's how this works. Mm. And when you get to many of those, you get to like this really cool wisdom, which is like, oh, I just made it simple. Mm -hmm. I think when people get to that place, they want to, they want to share it. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, the present moment. Absolutely.
0: Uh, What an insightful conversation. Holy smokes. And I think something that I struggle with too, which you kind of cleared up for me a little bit is, so I'm, a little bit younger than Brett, we'll just say a little bit, but, um, you know, I'm three years into my clinical practice, Brett's 17 years in, and so trying to push the limits of how fast I can catch up to him as he's, no, 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 no,
2: No, I want to go back. Like, it's not trying to be better than him or catch up to mm -hmm. him. It's being really efficient with today. How can I maximize, like, what does an epic day for me look like? Sure. There's going to be some learning. There's going to be some challenges hopefully you face and then you figure out how to navigate those challenges. You're connected to other people probably. You're doing it like in a tribal way. Like I just write that down and not trying to catch someone at 17 years, but be really efficient with how a switched on day for you looks and feels, and then commit to that in an uncommon way. And so let let him do his thing. Mm -hmm. Look and listen and be curious and 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 learn. But like, can you be a real learner today? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're comparing yourself to others, I don't think so. I think it's too hard. I think there's too much noise in that, in that model. So sorry. No, so, no I just, that's I just amazing. go back no, to the yeah. foundations of it. Like, and so I hear the comparison thing. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. Yeah. he's got his journey. He's trying to sort of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Well, Brett, any, any
1: last minute? Oh, uh, we usually ask people because most of our listeners and viewers are avid readers. What's a book or two that have, that have changed your life?
2: That's yeah, cool. I want to know yours too. Right. Like I, I want to know what those are, but, um, so my model for this is first if it's held up for the ages i'm interested Mm -hmm. so anything that's been kind of passed down through generations that's held up for humanity over time there's probably something true in there and so that's my first pass and i can give you some pop psych books you know or some pop sports science or whatever books but there's no hacks or shortcuts or tricks or tips or secrets to this you don't want your cairo to be a hack Mm -hmm. you don't want your Tattoo artist to be a hack.
1: You definitely don't
2: want your psych to be a hack, right? Right. Yeah. So there's no shortcuts here. Like, so go go up a level and find the books, find the themes that you're interested in. Okay, whether it's call it humanity or spirituality or science, and go to the books that have been passed down for the ages. Mm-hmm. So stuff written by um, William James has been cool. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a beginning. Positive, you know, kind of. He he shifted the game of psychology for me, so his work has been foundational. Um, but then I want to go up a level, like the Torah. You know, I want to go to the Dao De Ching, I want to go in, um, uh, the Gita. You know, the Bible. Like, I want to understand those kind of legend, Aristotle and Plato, and da da da. da. Like those kind of, like, do you remember Plato's cave? The allegory of the cave. Oh Oh my god, that that would be a go to to go read. Yeah it's brilliant yeah. you know like those kind of stuff of the ages um that's the first pass. the second like if i want to go way downstream is um man's search for meaning so, i, I, I was gonna know, say that, that yeah dude. you know it's like
0: that's part of the name gestalt was bigger was a, was a, a gestalt
2: so yeah yeah and so he's dope huh? uh-huh. i mean but i'd say the first half of that book the second half is i think really for psychologists the first yeah. half i think is a game changer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 100% agree. So, so you, that's your guys' go-to?
0: It'd be, that'd be one of them. The one that hit, I think books too, if they hit you at the right time, you know, like if you read it at the right time, it kind of comes to you. Yep. Mine was uh, uh, Happiness Advantage by Sean. Oh yeah. Agree. So okay, cool. I felt like, I, that I read that like my second trimester in school, it was like a really stressful time. I was kind of struggling with my making the right decision and stuff. And so that that kind of helped me with those like mini you know, just looking at things a little bit differently. So that, that one changed my life. What
2: was the bit. what was the takeaway?
0: Um, it was just uh find those little things in your day that you uh, that you want to hold on to, that you want to celebrate and like those little wins and those happinesses in each kind of moment. So yeah. You
2: know. Yeah, I think celebrating like a wild person is really a rare thing. Yeah. And if you can do it and get free and celebrate like a wild man, yeah. You know, in your guys' cases, then get down with that. Yeah. I would flat out like be unreasonable in the way that you party, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not talking about drugs and drinking. I'm saying, like, party, like really. When something funny's <laughs> happened, fucking laugh. Yeah. When something is like, yeah. it's, it's five funny. chest
0: bump and yeah, absolutely. I, like yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah. What, what what's your go-to? Uh,
1: well, we lost Anders Erickson. I know you know it mm-hmm. So uh, I actually I really like I liked his work before he wrote the book Peak. You know he kind of wrote that the cambridge handbook of expertise which yeah i really like that um, hey, he,
2: he's a, he was a true paragon that we lost like mm-hmm. he was he was a deep thinker um and so that's cool for you to reference him for sure yeah, yeah. the other one was a guy named
1: josh waitskin Hmm. who basically he got to the top of the world in martial arts and and chess yeah so like to see somebody who you know can do it in two different ways you know they understand the the journey i would say those would be the two
2: hey go check out da vinci go check out him and uh isaac newton so da vinci like i mean dude talk (laughs) about like being a polymath (laughs) go check it like so those are the ones that get me. Right. Hmm. Nothing against Josh or whatever. Yeah. Like oh to like God. fine
1: arts, and like when they can do it across like
2: war machines, oh, yeah, come in on. <laughs> like all the way to like fine arts. Like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. So what is it like? And you know, Da Vinci was um, probably gay. It's not clear. And why do I bring that up? Because in his time, um, it was by, uh, it was by death hmm. and he's like, you know what? I'm so flipping good and I'm on my own path here. Like, Hey, you know, like I'm going to risk it all to be true. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I think most
2: people won't be, um, really have a hard time being true. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's where I go to like, the ones that stand up over time, there's something pure about what they've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, cool.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I yeah. love it. Uh, well, we uh, we thank you for your time. Oh, no, uh we, we thank you for uh, uh, enlightening us and our audience and what mastery is. I mean, that is the the. We don't really have a hidden agenda at, at Soul Education. We're trying to build the world class clinicians and trainers, and so we want to we want to build a platform and and uh, give them an, an area to you know express themselves mm-hmm. and to learn the, the information and then do it. And so you added a huge piece of that puzzle today. So that was awesome. So uh, now you have a new book coming out?
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, My first book was an Audible original. It's called Compete Mm -hmm. to Create. And the idea is like, you got to work your ass off to create a living masterpiece. Mm -hmm. So Compete to Create. And um, we did it Audible so that you could um, absorb the stories like in an intimate way in your ears. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was a fun, uh, I wrote it with coach um, Pete Carroll of of the Seattle Seahawks. And so that was great. And it was born out of a online course that we built. Mm-hmm. And we just launched that online course to be available for um, the wider public right now. It was kind of behind the paywall in big business. Awesome. And so now you can take... We, just, we basically pull back the curtain and say, hey, if you want to train your mind, we're going to show you exactly how we've gone after it, you know, working with world-class athletes over the, you know, handful of years. so. Um, Where
0: can they find that course?
2: Yes, you can go to, if you did a search for Compete to Create, Mm -hmm. you'd find both the audiobook and the course. But the best place to go really for all of it is findingmastery.net. And so you can find the course, you can find the audiobook, and then um, I'm just in the beginnings of writing a new book for, um, it'll be out sometime next year.
0: That's awesome, and like we said to begin with, if you haven't uh, subscribed to, to Finding Mastery, then absolutely do it. So the
1: podcast it is so good because when I first heard Michael, like you just have any information out at that time. When I first heard you, I'm yeah. like, who? Is, how can people do not know who Michael no, yeah, Gervais is? Yeah. So <laughs> now, I mean, in all our lectures, we reference you because I think like people understanding what it takes to master anything. I think it's like a missing link. And I think better than anyone in the world, you have created a roadmap for what that what that can look like. So uh, for that, I'm forever grateful. I, you probably do not even uh, realize it, but even that that one hour lecture that you did in San Diego, I mean, it really changed me. So there's a ripple effect. So I really appreciate, uh, yeah, no, it was, it, it was that good. What so. was
2: the takeaway? I know we're, we're winding up, you know, mindfully of our time here, but yeah. like, what was the takeaway?
1: uh i don't know if like it was the way that you presented it i just think like psychology and sports psychology can be dry yeah so i think like it just overextended my expectation i would say more than anything like the part about like when you referenced jesus dalai lama and and then then you went on to say like what gets you going is basically like understanding like you know, in their world, what at stake. And I think that really resonated. And then, and then I, cause I really feel like for me, like or us in practice, it is literally stringing moments together. It's, it's pattern recognition. It's being able to, I've uh, seen this 10 times, but not like falling into like rope patterns. Yeah, like still. Right. Yeah, that's know. right.
2: Yeah. You know, I think that when I go back to that conference is that I was talking a lot about making fundamental decisions. We didn't talk about that today, but like, what are your fundamental unwavering decisions that you're gonna make in your life? And so if you strip it down, that was a big deal to me at that point. Like what are the primary first principles in your life? That's one, mm-hmm. first principles. Okay, what are they? The second is are what are the fundamental commitments you're gonna make in your life? And if you really wanna get good at your craft, you, you have to pass through that gate. First principles, what are they? and fundamental decisions and you know like it like for you it's like not trying to be better than others but a first principle would be like figure out for me how to be my best Hmm. and over time some really cool stuff takes place you know i I don't know so uh, first primary fundamental decisions i think it's really cool
0: that's awesome awesome Awesome. well guys uh Check it out, uh, what, a, what a cool, I, I'm, I'm all hyped up. So one thing we didn't do, Brad, is we always try to highlight, at least if we're drinking wine, we'll highlight the wine, but we found this crazy good coffee shop here in Hermosa Beach called Lucky 7 Coffee. And uh, we've gone there twice today already, actually. So <laughs> it's <laughs> so birds. damn good. So yeah. um, anyway, uh, so we, we had a Kenyan in the morning and then uh, we had an Ethiopian this afternoon. So just amazing coffee. And so uh, with that, Michael. You, you guys like tea? Uh, yeah, tea, tea and coffee. coffee? Yeah, yeah tea and coffee? And so, so, yeah. So, Tea, coffee, wine. That's yeah, that's our. Those that's our are <laughs> snobbery. Yeah, yeah we yeah. say you, you can. You basically get four or five snobbers in your life, and you, you spend too much money on it. You too much time. You know yeah. Like coffee is mine, so that's my obsession. Like I love the processing, the, the all that kind of stuff. So.
2: Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. So yeah.
0: anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. We're getting long winded here, so um, as always, uh, gestaltedu.com for all of our upcoming courses, and then um, Michael Gervais, Thank you so much, bro. Appreciate you both. Yeah. yeah thank, thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you.